Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tech Disruptors by Bloomberg Intelligence. My name is Neeraj Patel. I'm a technology analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research group. Today, we are delighted to have the CEO of the Britannica Group, Jorge Caos. We look to hear from Jorge about the Britannica Group, his perspective on the educational market evolution, current growth initiatives, and the overall view of the competitive landscape. On that note, let's turn to Jorge and the company he is managing. Jorge, we would like to hear your personal journey to the current position as CEO of the Britannica Group, and then follow that up with some historical points for Britannica Group's past to the current point in time. Thank you, Niraj. I'm delighted to be here with you. I'm Jorge Kaos, CEO of Britannica, as you mentioned. The company was founded 254 years ago, but really what we have done here at Britannica has been reimagination of the company, reimagination of the brand. We are just basically a company that everyone trusts with incredible reach around the globe. And what we have done is really pivot the company from just that wall of informing with a trustworthy content and information to that of also being a companion in the learning process. My background at Britannica is that I came here uh, more than 20 years ago, first uh, as a consultant, and then I worked my way up in the ranks until I became president. And I left the company for a little while until returning about a year and a half ago. Uh, back at Britannica, trying to pursue the continued growth of the company within the educational uh, technology space, where we are very relevant today, as well as continue to grow in the consumer media space, where we inform you know, hundreds of millions of people on a, on a yearly basis. And, and this brand has been in existence for, as you mentioned, hundreds of years. And how are you pivoting the brand to the current global opportunity in education. One of the main objectives of the company all the time has been how to create you know, involved, informed, critical thinkers. And you know, with that sort of vision and mission that has been on for a long time, we actually wasn't really difficult to know and understand the role that Britannica could play in the educational technology space. First, it was uh, really by when we were putting our uh, in, uh, reference solutions online. We had different kinds of reference solutions, some of them for people that went to college, some of them for people that were younger learners. And we started to find out that these solutions that were initially meant to be for the library were really coming into the classroom and they were used as part of the lessons and part of the homework assignments. And we started to look at ourselves, you know, what better roles we can actually provide to become a partner of the teaching and learning process in the classroom and outside of the classroom. We started to work with teachers, we started to work with instructional designers in the creation of instructional solutions specifically targeting the classroom and specifically targeting the instruction of, of what we call foundational skills, you know, whether it be math, science, English language arts, you know, teaching English as a second language in, in some other places. So that's that's the world, you know, sort of evolved from the library into the classroom and now one more also in the professional development of the teachers in the K-12. Can you describe along this journey how you have moved the company along this uh, the digital evolution and digital transformation and how the internet has played a big impact on your product service and offerings? 
Oh, it's, uh, yeah, the transformation has been complete. Uh, if you can think about Britannica 20 years ago, it was a very different company. You know, it had a CD-ROM and it had a printset. It had some online presence, you know, as much as it was possible back then because there are many people were online, but many people were not able to monetize online. Schools were online, but they were not really as sophisticated as they are today. So, you know, the company was mostly in the years ago, if you wish, uh, a print and a CD-ROM encyclopedia company. With the advent or really uh, the internet, that's when really things started to change and when you know, really new business models started to emerge. We transformed the company where today we have absolutely no legacy products. You know, all of our revenue or the vast majority of our revenue is digital. And the company is split almost 50% between the consumer space and the educational space. And that sort of evolution transformed the entire company. Whereas before we were a compendium of knowledge created by experts. You know, today we are uh, a much more expansive uh, knowledge database that is created by experts and instructional designers, educators, and really more and more, actually, you know, it's really a transformation of that company that has very specific instructional products that sit in the classroom and a companion of, of the teacher. Why we like that space? Because it's a space that we have, frankly, unique permission to participate with. You know, we have a, a brand that is global, that reaches almost every single corner of the world with incredible equity, which is, you know, our brand equity sits squarely on trust, which is extremely relevant today. And it's a, it's a trust that allows us to participate in those large, growing and fragmented markets like the educational technology and the information space in the consumer space. These two markets where we have not only the brand and the content, but many of the other key requirements to be able to participate. You know, today, the digital instructional market is a fairly large market. It's approaching $45 billion a year by 2025. It's a market that is growing actually exponentially abroad. If you look at the number of students that are going to be impacted by the digital technologies over the next couple of years. You know, there are about a billion students that sit in the that are in the developing world outside of China, outside of Europe, and outside of the US. And we have uh, incredible brand equity in those places, as well as obviously in the US and in Europe. And we are actually participating in those uh, in those instructional markets. At the same time, in the consumer space, our audiences are growing. Our editors are expanding the uh, knowledge that we create. We have a, a significant increase, uh, increasing number of contributors that are working with Britannica so that we continue to develop content that is well-written, updated, factually correct, balance, and continuously revised. So that, that's, those are some of the key benefits of an editorial process, like, like the one that we have at Britannica. You know, people do not trust Britannica just because, or two, they really trust us because we have a very editorial process that has a specific value that is very, very important today. You know, I think we're, we all know that the lack of trust and the lack of veracity and information on the internet is, is rampant. That is something that resonates both in the consumer space, but also, and, and more importantly, in the educational space. That's an interesting point for us. And, you know, given that Bloomberg is in the media news research space as well, and the editorial process is quite stringent here. And your point about expert information and the trust with the type of information put out by Britannica Group, how is that valued in the marketplace? Um, do you quantify that based on a tiering type of structure or speaking a little more to the business model and how you monetize that proposition? 
We have, as I mentioned, two different main markets, one of them in the educational technology space, which is an important focus of, of ours. In that space, we have we concentrate basically on how to serve better the teachers and students in the K-12 market. We work very hard at satisfying the teachers. Uh, in, you know, in, the, in those very stringent environments in which they are, where there is a, a, a continued decline of resources, uh, where there is uh, an increased uh, necessity to have secure services, uh, where there needs to be an interoperability with the LMSs, the learning management systems, as well as the student information systems, where there's really a declining amount of time that the teachers have to deal with all of the different solutions that there, there, there are available for them. And we need to focus on three specific things, you know, how can we save time to the teachers, how we can ensure that the students actually learn the the subject area that is at task and how we actually you know uh, incentivize creativity and critical thinking in those in those students so those are the three things that we're trying to value the most we partner with superintendents we partner with school districts we partner with at state level also with many ministers of education and trying to achieve that specific role so we we see that as one of the main areas our revenue in the tech space is mostly uh, like a SaaS revenue model. We create educational software and educational solutions that have a very uh, high repeat ratio. We our renewal rates uh, you know, are in between 95 and 97 percent uh, on a yearly basis. So that actually translates into obviously for those uh, people in the financial space, that translates into increasing margins as we go forward. And then in the consumer space, we are like a digital media company, just like like you would be, you know, where we make the revenue based on advertising and subscriptions. We have very different subscription models, very different goals, but we also allow for a significant amount of free traffic for people to be get informed through Britannica or Merriam-Webster. And an increasing part of what we do in the consumer space is not only inform, but also try to delight people with learning uh, engagement. Yeah, so we have a lot of learning interactives, not necessarily games, although you can call them games. We have quizzes and trivias and language uh, learning uh, games that people are just love to uh, to come to Britannica or Merriam Webster and from an informational visit, they actually go uh, have a, a much larger engaging learning experience with us. So we love that space, you know, where Britannica now, because of the digital presence you were, you were thinking about, you asked uh, a little while ago about how the internet actually changed Britannica. Well, drastically, you know, not only because now we not only inform, but also we engage with our users and learners a lot more deeply. You know, we have, we know and understand what they like to learn about. We know and understand what they need to learn about. And we can actually create these different experiences on the side that allows us to be much more effective in that learning process. We also have complete visibility as to what people are asking out there, whether at Britannica or outside of Britannica. And we really look at that filter of where the demand for information and the demand for knowledge is and we'll really try to meet that demand whenever it's appropriate for our brand. So we have a much greater visibility, much more expansive role, and we see that really the imagination is the limit as to what we can continue to layer on, on the top of Britannica. We have a really solid performance financially. We are growing very nicely with more than double, yeah, reaching yeah, between 15 and 20% growth. We have a very robust EBITDA, reaching almost 40%, we believe, for next year. And we, we, we just see that that our performance will continue to improve as we continue to leverage our key assets, which are our brand, our content, and our learning instructions.
We are going to get your big picture view on a couple topics before we go into a little more detail on the categories here. Just your perspective and this continual commentary in the press about the shortage of teachers in the U.S. and globally. Do you see that to the same degree across regions? And how is leveraging some of the technology tools by the educators able to alleviate the physical teacher or their presence, if at all? The shortest teachers, as you point out, is not only happening here in the U.S., but it's happening everywhere. Here in the U.S., I think the pandemic has actually exacerbated the problem. I mean, we find a lot of the young teachers, 44% of the young teachers actually leave their uh, jobs after, uh, you know, before five years, which is really a very sad statistic, you know. But the, we ask uh, teachers a lot here in the U.S. and in other places, but specifically in the U.S., we're asking them a lot. And we're finding that they are not well-resourced, they're not well-paid. And we don't have sufficient teachers in the U.S. So uh, what we try to do with our solutions, and, and nobody would be able to replace the teachers in the classroom. They're irreplaceable. What we try to do with our learning solutions is being able to help them. You know, as, as I mentioned before, you know, are we going to be effective in teaching their, you know, in, in, in fulfilling the learning outcomes that are for each and every one of the students? Can we incentivize the students into being thinkers, into being much more engaged with the content? Can we actually put assessment that allows the teachers to understand where the different students are in terms of the level in which they ought to be according to, to the grades or if they are advancing? So that, that, those are the kinds of solutions that we try to help with, but nobody will be able to. to to really address the, the problems of the teachers unless we have more teachers and better trained teachers, you know, which is something that we also participate in. Abroad, I think one of the key things that has happened is that you know, when, when one looks at accessibility to education, you know, COVID obviously had a significant impact to bringing a new meaning to what accessibility is all about. And in the U.S., a lot of kids were able to have, a lot of students were able to have access to digital solutions, and that wasn't the case abroad. And that has really changed the perspective. You you look at any Ministry of Education abroad, if you look to any private or, or public school outside of the U.S., and specifically in the developing country, you know, they're not asking you know, whether or not they need to have digital solutions, but they're asking really how fast can they have them. I think it's very clear for them that they will be able to, you know, to lower or narrow the digital gap faster than they would be able to narrow some of the other infrastructure problems. You know, we, we work with many countries, for example, in Africa and South America, where there's no roads to the schools, but there's already broadband availability and there's already net accessibility at homes of, of the many of the students. We see that there is an increasing role for the digital solutions. And frankly, when one talks about the future of the book, I, I do not know what the future of the book would be. Yeah, for most of the people that read fiction, sorry, non-fiction, yeah, or or, or yeah, read a trade book, yeah, it's very easy to see that it's going to be a digital book or not. It doesn't really matter. But if, when it comes to the curriculum book, I think it's clearly that they no chance of competing against a digital solution. Yeah, that the digital solutions are a lot more effective in teaching the curriculum. That they provide a lot more information to the student. That they provide much more information to the teacher. And not only that, that the provided those solutions is more capable of really improving on the product and services that they provide just by looking at the usability of those solutions in the school environment. So the digital impact has been profound in the educational technology space. And the teacher shortage is something that we have to work with. I think that the digital solutions help, but will not alleviate the total impact that is happening in, in the school market. 
along this usage of a teacher enabled by or the ability to leverage technology, have you had any study or analysis that showcases the Britannica Group's impact on teacher-to-student ratio type of trend with the Britannica Group technology tools or without it, or is it kind of too, let's say, unclear at this point? I don't know that there's any analysis being done with not only with Britannica, but with any solution about the impact of the ratio of students to teachers and whether or not the solution would be actually the one that will impact that ratio. I think that the solutions will help the teacher actually probably increase the learning outcomes. And as you, as you may know, you know, almost every single digital solution now get tested over a, a longitudinal analysis and being able to understand what impact they have as opposed to the print counterparts. But really the, the, the need of more teachers per classroom is not only about really teaching the subject area, but it's also about class management and really the amount of work that the teachers have beyond the classes. You know, they do have really quite a lot of administrative tasks that they need to to, to engage with. They have a lot of, especially at the beginning, a lot of credentialing that they need to do. And, and really you know, the problem with the teacher shortage is well beyond the amount of instructional material that they are provided with. And along the macro comments and most recent history about education and digital tools and the cost for tutoring, private tutor, I know that has, as a parent, has significantly increased over the last several years. And I believe in China, they had a significant tightening of the cost by private educational service firms. Yeah. Is, I assume, the Britannica Group is a solution on the other side with the technology, a deflationary type of cost structure. What are your comments along that type of? I think that you know, the, the, you're talking about private tutoring, and I, I, you know, this is you know, right now at Britannica, we're really most concentrated on on these two different markets that I mentioned to you. One of them about informing a very large group of people, mostly through consumer media, and then the other one in uh, creating digital solutions for the the school market you know, for the for the schools uh, and, and ministers of education and that's the the one that we're concentrating there's a very large opportunity yet to be developed by britannica in the direct to consumer business whether it be to train young students or lifelong learners with different solutions there is a really vast amount of opportunity out there. We're not really exploring that one yet. That's something that we will probably explore in the next couple of years. Right now, again, we're concentrating on the consumer informed and delight type of solutions that we have. And then in the in the K-12 ed tech. I haven't said that you talk about a deflationary. You know, I'm not really sure that there is a lot of deflationary impact on the tutoring business. I think for the most part, is it uh, continues to be a, a very expensive set of, of, of solutions. I think that there's a lot of new innovation with direct-to-consumers and digital app players, but you know, I think Khan Academy comes to mind in terms of not, not tutoring, but at least being able to address some of those areas that you're talking about. Now, away from some of the macro, we'd like to get your perspective on the competitive landscape. You had mentioned, you know, Britannica Group's kind of distinction in brand, in trusted level of information. And there's a lot of different players from our view coming into this market with different services and offering, but maybe not directly head on to you. We, we think of, you know, obviously the Google searches across many different libraries, Wikipedia, some of the professional course services such as Coursera or LinkedIn certifications. How would you map out the competitive landscape and points of differentiation across some of the major competitors? But so, you know, I think that you, that there's a series of names and brands that you suggested, and I, I would 
first start by saying Google's not a competitor, it's a channel. You know, it, it, Google is a huge highway with an exit on every single point of content. So I, I don't see them as being a competitor. I see them more as being, you know, do you want to participate in that channel? Yes or no. They're not creating content, although sometimes they publish a lot of content on their, on their search results. Uh, when it comes to informing, obviously you mentioned uh, Wikipedia and, and there's maybe other other players in, in that place where we're not talking really about instruction or training, when really it's more about really being able to put out there content that is of certain quality. And I think that you know, there's room for different players. What we find is that at Britannica and for Britannica, there is an increasing number of people for whom your trust is very, very important. Or you know, the editorial process is really a key part of, uh, of, of, the, of the value proposition. And as I mentioned before, we try to deliver content that is well-written and that is uh, created by the experts, that is balanced, that is fact-based, that is continuously edited. And we create that better, I think, than anyone else. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, we're expanding that world, we're expanding that database, and we believe that the opportunities for growth in this area are immense and are immense with never really leaving behind that trust or never really delivering on the trust factor. So, you know, there's other players in that space. I think it's important to have other players in that space, but it's very, very important for them to understand what they get at Britannica and, and what our, our proposition is. You know, there's many different newspapers and that's good. In this case of, of English language, at least, you know, we find that Britannica has a unique role to play and an increasingly large role to play. So that's for, for what we call, you know, trying to uh, inform a large group of people, large audiences, and casting a very wide net. In terms of the educational technology space, we don't really compete with Coursera. We don't really compete with some of these other players that you mentioned. In the educational technology space right now, we're participating in the K-12 space. And we're not really talking about informing the students only. We're not talking about you know, providing them a, a really good article on Abraham Lincoln or about the you know, American Revolution or anything like that. We're really talking about that and in addition to it, really provide learning solutions that, deal, that teach history or that teach science or that teach math, specifically according to the curriculum where our learning solutions have a very specific user interface, a very specific pedagogical approach, where every single content is extremely linked to curriculum, where our content is in many times lexile or written at different reading levels, where every piece of content is assessed, where there's an assessment engine that informs the student how they're doing, how they're progressing, as well as the teacher. You know, so these are completely different type of solutions, not really competing with Wikipedia or with Google. It really is a solution that competes with a different set of mostly digital instructional solutions that cater the, the K-12. When you talk about your customer base through the K-12 through target, how does that mix look between the public educational system and the private schooling system? And also, if you could chart out the adoption at this point in time and how you see that moving forward in the U.S., and globally. Right. If you are in the educational space, in the K-12 educational space, by definition, if you're going to be you know, a, a publisher of relevance, you need to target the public educational market. And we're very, very happy to target the public educational market. Obviously, that's the, the lion's share of our revenue, whether it be in the States or abroad, has to do with the public educational markets. There's a few markets where just because of the way the languages play out, like for example, if you look at India, you know, where there is a, a lot of different markets of the different regions that are provided in different languages 
by the different states, but really the, the English language market is mostly provided by the private sector. There's a similarity, although not with the language in, in other places where there is a very large private sector participating, like in the case of Brazil, and the public sector participates in different places. But but by and large, if you are educational in educational technology, you really need to sell to, to, to the public sector. You know, I'm here right now in Chicago. Our customers, obviously, the Chicago public schools and obviously all the LA Unified and all of the large uh, school uh, districts in the U.S. We have also state contracts, and we, but we also work with ministers of education abroad. So we really look at the solutions uh, that we cater that you know, we, we, they need to be solutions that are broadly accepted. You know, there's uh, economies of scales. We cannot create solutions for niche markets. We need to create solutions that really expand. And that's one of the other trends that is happening in the educational technology space, that there are certain skill sets that you can actually, or certain educational solutions depending on, on the strand, like whether it be math or science, you know, that tend to travel better. Yeah, you can adapt language, scope, and sequence, and being able to have a relatively good solution to offer for even different markets that, that have a different language. Got it. Okay, that's well understood and appreciate that explanation about your customer mix. And when you mentioned the primary target is the public school customer, budget pressures, time to approve sales from to the technology world and the different la layer of approvals come to my mind. What are some of the challenges that you incur in approaching the public system in moving off of legacy, let's say, technology tools to a more advanced platform such as Britannica Group? The things that you mentioned are really rampant and present. You know, as I mentioned before, the teachers are, are under tremendous pressure and they really are demanding a market and rightly so. You know, they're not just going to accept anyone. So the selling cycles also require, you know, a lot of word of mouth as opposed to marketing. So there's it's a, it's a market that really grows organically and it has its own specific curve. What we are doing at Britannica is that we're catering, you know, to all of the needs of the obviously of the teachers and students here in the U.S. and in many other places of the developed world, where we're making also a very strong emphasis in going to the developing world, where as a business, we think that we can grow faster than many other other potential solutions. Let's start with, with who we are. You know, as Britannica, we are a trusted source of information and knowledge, and that has been true for over 254 years. And that really, you know, trust is one of those things, whether it be on a personal basis or on a business, you know, trust takes a long, long time to build, and it takes an instant to lose. We think that at Britannica, as long as we continue to deliver these, these solutions that really serve the student and the teacher, we will continue to build trust. And we have an ability to do that better than anyone in some of these developing countries. We make an effort. You know, we go constantly to visit our customers and potential customers all over the world and try to meet them and understand what are the things that they are struggling, how we can actually help them out. Because there is a, a more expeditious process. There is a really sense of urgency and rightly so in these places to expand the capabilities of their of their learning institutions and specifically of the K through 12. You know, sometimes when you get into second into college or uh, prep schools, you know, that that's a little bit too late. There's very, very important emphasis to try to teach foundational skills in a much better way in all of the developing world. I mean, and there's not a minister of education around there that doesn't really have, uh, you know, have as a as their main priority or as his or her main priority, the usage of technology in the classroom and the usage of technology for instruction. I see. 
And just a last question about the platform on pricing and functionality. How do you approach the customer base? We're assuming there's a lot of diversity on size and the level of grading and by region as well. Is it on a all-you-can-eat type of product basis or is there several tiers? And what are the type of feature sets associated with those tiers? We offer different types of solutions from you know, information and reference solutions that are very easy to use and very easy to integrate to the learning process where it has a specific lesson plans and you know there are so those are actually at a lower price we have very different solutions some of them are for you know for elementary school some of them for middle school some of them for high school some of them you know, again, I have more lesson plans than others. So we have a different degree, a different kind of solutions. There are all the ones that are really much more completely instructional, where you can think about what we call learning objects, which are very, very tightly assigned instructional content linked to the curriculum for the teachers of different schools or school systems, if you wish, to actually use them and and, and use them as part of their lesson plans in, in their own LMSs. That's a different price. And then we have other solutions that are really a complete experience for the classroom or for homework or, or or for both, you know, where there is a beginning, a middle and an end, where every single content is very specifically curated, where we have multi-model types of, of learning elements, you know, whether it be a video, a text, an audio, a chart, a, a table, and every single one of those get assessed where everything uh, is really you know, communicated back to the teacher. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very comprehensive solution. So depending on what it is that we are actually offering the customer, the, the, the price scale really varies and obviously the amount of students involved. You know, there's also a certain degree of adaptation depending on which market we are working with data. We have done very large projects, for example, in Asia, where we have created a full steam you know, science technology and an engineering product for the high school. And it was very, very tailor-made to the needs of, uh, in this case, Japan, but we have done other things in South America or in Egypt, for example, but that actually meets the specific requirements. So there's a, a, a little bit more of a bespoke solution created for them, and the price would be different. And Jorge, let's, let's wrap up with one final point for our listeners on an emerging technology that you may think that might be offered by your firm in the, over the next five years or be quite disruptive to the educational technology industry. I think that more than being offered, we don't offer technology, we offer learning solutions. I can tell you that one of the most disruptive experimentations that we're working with is with NLP, natural language processing, as well as artificial intelligence, both for the generation of learning paths within our instructional solutions or the generation of learning paths within our informing solutions. You know, given that you came to learn for something, you know, what is it likely that you would like to learn? So if you think about you know, how that usage of technology has been very destructive, for example, in social media by putting these horrible, you know, traps that intensify and weaponize content. You know, in the case of Britannica, we want to do something completely different. We don't have any poisonous content there. We hear we only publish really content that is useful for society and students and learners. So we're really looking at how we actually can apply those types of technologies to be able to, to create better, better experiences, you know, to be able to provide learning paths that are more compatible with the learning style and the level of proficiency of each of the, uh, of the different students. For me, that's one of the most important areas that we're looking into. 
Oh, great. Jorge, we truly enjoyed our conversation today, and we look forward to seeing what comes from Britannica Group in the future. Thank you for joining us today on another edition of Bloomberg's Tech Disruptors. Thank you very much, Mirash.